So what we're going to do is we're literally going to walk through the book of James kind of piece by piece. We're going to walk through it kind of section by section. We're going to bite off a little section uh, this morning. And as we do, I really believe that this message is timely, that this message is timely for us here uh, today. And I believe it's going to call us to do two things. Uh, One, it's going to call us to Christ. And then two, it's going to call us to action. And if there is anything more powerful, exciting, more needed in our community is for God's people to be called to action. And I think this message is going to be timely for, for us this morning. So my, my encouragement is simple. Over the next couple of weeks, I encourage you, I challenge you to be open. To be open. If you're new to the faith, I, I encourage you to be open to the new things that God wants to do in you in ways he wants to grow you. If you've been a believer for many years, the encouragement is the same, that you would, be, you would be open and you would be expecting for God to speak in new ways, to teach you new things, to grow you in new ways. If you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, uh, I encourage you to be open to what James has, because not only are you going to see Jesus, but you're going to get a glimpse of the life that Jesus has for those who follow him. And so this time, I think, is going to be important for all of us, and I just want to encourage you to be open. Let me pray for us, and, and let's get into James. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this incredible book, and I pray you open our hearts, and I pray you speak, and that we hear in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's start right at the top in James 1. Uh, It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. And remember, James, uh, by the way, is the brother of Jesus. Right? We talked about this a little bit last week. The brother of Jesus, and he's calling here his big brother, Lord, which we talked about that last week of being a kind of a unique title to call your brother, is it not? Um, we talked about the fact that James did not grow up a believer, that he did not grow up a believer, but that he met Jesus in a, in a real way when he saw Jesus raised from the dead. What we celebrated last week was really the beginning of James' story, that he, his whole life changed because of that. And so that's James. And now here he calls Jesus Lord, he calls himself servant. Uh, keep in mind, James is the, the leader, the most prominent leader of the church period of that, of that time. He led, he pastored the church in Jerusalem, which was kind of the mothership for, for all churches in the ancient world. It's where everything spread from, and James was the leader here. And that man signs his letter simply a servant. It's kind of a unique thing to think about. He's following in, in Jesus' footsteps, and I think of that passage where he's, whoever wants to be the first, let him be the servant. The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. And here James is kind of following in that and leading the church movement by being the lead servant, which, which I love. And, and then he tells us who this letter is to. He says here that it's to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Where's that? Is that in Iraq or... It's not a place. Um, Dispersion is not a place. It's like our word disperse or scatter. It means scattered. 
So to those who are scattered is who James is addressing. He he uses the term the 12 tribes, and this is obviously a reference back to the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, some uh, believe, and a very few believe, that James was actually only written to Jewish people. This only applies to the Jewish people who would fit into this category. Uh, But most, including myself, think that that is very narrow, And that what James means here when he says the 12 tribes is he's talking about the whole of the people of God. That the people of God scattered, that's who he's referring to. In other words, it's not limited to one ethnicity. It's for Jew, Gentile, for everyone who by the work of Jesus Christ has become a child of God. That's who James is dealing with. So he says uh, the people of God who are scattered throughout. And so I believe for us uh, today, 2015, Americans sitting in this room in this in this school. Um, I believe for us, this letter is for us. It's meant for the scattered church. Uh, for our brothers and sisters who are in the underground church in China right now. For the, our brothers and sisters who are planting churches in Ethiopia right now. To us who are planting a church in San Antonio, Texas. In the, it is the globally scattered church. And so James says... Brothers, this letter is for you. And so that's what I want us to wrestle with this morning is to know that this letter is is for us. So we see James here being uh, the leader of the church world, calling himself first and foremost a servant of Jesus and talking to the people of God scattered throughout. And then he drops into verse two. Says this, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. There's no transition verse here, is there? It's not a soft bumper verse. It's not, hi, how are you doing? How's your family? How have things been going in the church? No, it is, hi, my name is James. I'm writing to you, the church. Now count it joy when you suffer. It is just in, dropped in. There's, there's no check-in. It's just straight in, you know? And you see him just drop in. And there's a question that we need to ask, and we need to be honest with it. Are Christians crazy? Are Christians completely loony? Because for, for him to tell us that when we suffer, count it joy, there's psychological problems with people like that. You know? If, we're, if we take the, if you've grown up in church, if you take the familiarity out of this verse, you realize, well, we sound kind of crazy in this, in this verse. What's going on here? What does it mean by all joy? Is James saying, Christians, when you suffer, count it only joy, nothing else, no sadness, no discouragement, never. It's joy, joy, happy, happy all the time. Is that what James is is calling us to? Please hear me, no, because it's creepy. People like that are really creepy. Can we say amen to that? It's it's creepy. Um, But two, that's not only is that not what James is saying, but it's not possible. Not only that, uh, it's not healthy to try. It's not healthy to try because God has given us emotion that aren't evil. And as we face hard things, it is right and good to realize that they are hard things and not to just pretend. James is not saying that. Um, James is not telling us to ignore difficult things or to get really good at putting smiles on. 
Or when things are happening, he's not calling us to just, when people ask, how are you doing? And you say, blessed. Like, really? Are you? Let's be honest. Are Christians called to be crazy? James is not calling us to be crazy Christians, happy, happy, all the time, creepy. Um, I have, well, let me ask you this. Have you ever been in a Christian community, maybe a Bible study? Uh, Maybe your family was like this growing up. Maybe you just had a network of people like this where it wasn't okay to show that you were sad. Maybe your online world is like this. Maybe social network is kind of like this for you. It's not okay to show that you're sad or discouraged. It's almost a mark of spiritual uh, immaturity. If you were to say, you know what? Life is terrible right now. Um, First of all, I think more of us than we probably even realize that that's our story. And so first of all, if that is you, I'm sorry. Join the club of us that that might be the case. But number two, I think we need to realize that that might have created some tendencies in us. And we're gonna kind of unpack this, but that might have kind of started to create a tendency in you to feel like you need to mask, that you need to, that you need to not let it show Is it really sad that a Frozen song just came into my mind right now? (laughs) Everyone who's laughing has small children. I know it. Um, uh, I just got way off. Conceal, don't feel. Okay? James is not calling us to be Elsa's mom and dad. Okay? It's not what he's... Anyway, I digress real bad. Um, Please hear me. James is not calling us to that. When James says all joy, another way to translate that word all is not exclusively only all the time, but it is a pure or genuine or authentic joy. Count it all joy, meaning not uh, quantity, but quality. Count it all joy. Um, He's not calling us to feel joy exclusively all the time, but he is calling us to take advantage of every opportunity as a potential moment for genuine, authentic joy to show up. We're gonna talk about that. So he says, count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. And one more thing before we get to verse three. These trials are both internal and external. External, those pressures that we feel, maybe persecution that we feel, maybe struggles that we feel from the outside, you're gonna face these. Count it all joy, but also internal. These are the ones that I think we as Christians kind of struggle a little bit more. And that's the discouragement. Maybe loneliness, depression, anxiety, fear, all of those things. Those are internal trials that we face. And Christian, we're going to face them. We are going to face them as well. And James says, count it all joy. Not count it all condemnation. Not count it as a sign to push the panic button. Not count it all as a sign that God somehow loves you less than he did yesterday kind of thing. No, it's count it all joy, brothers pure joy. So let's go to verse 3. How is that possible? Verse 3, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So here it is. What is that? Steadfastness. We don't typically use that word in our language today. It's, it's not something I say often. But what is it and why is it worth it? Let me give you an example. How many of you are athletes? Awesome. Better question. <laughs> How many enjoy at least watching athletes on TV? 
Okay, we got a little more. Okay, maybe a little more. How many have seen the commercials that come on during the game that show athletes on them? That, I think that got us all. There's always that moment in those commercials where these men and women, they are just beating themselves, their bodies. They're going through this training that is just intense. They're punishing themselves. They're, you know, deadlifting these massive weights or they're like running into hurricane wind with a parachute or my favorite is the dude who's flipping a tractor tire that's like two times taller than he is and he's just going. And then at the end, there's always that moment where, where he like drops the weight, sweat's coming down, they zoom in and he has this look on his face like, yeah, I just did that. Like there's always that moment of the commercial. Why do athletes do that to themselves? Why in the world do they do that? It's not natural. It's not what they, I'm sure, want to be doing at the time. Well, let me let you hear from one. I listen to a running podcast, and I love it. Uh, but a couple weeks ago, they had a, a runner of an ultra marathon. This guy's just crazy. He's running all kinds of miles, training. He's just an athlete. And they asked him about his training, and this is what he said. I had to go back and and write it down. He says, I enjoy the training and the pushing of my body and my mind beyond their limits because I realize that it is because of the struggle in training that I know that when the race or when life throws anything at me that wears me down, I just know that I'll have more in the tank to face the challenge. When my toddlers are crazy, my job is difficult, I just know I got this. I took that, I I love that. And you get this image of these athletes train and they condition and they push themselves so that when they face the trials of the real thing, they have perseverance and endurance, steadfastness through it. That's what we're called to. James says, consider it all joy. Like an athlete who is training, consider it all joy that you are building your perseverance, your endurance, so that you can have confidence with what you face in the future. And we're going to get there. James continues in verse 4. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So notice, steadfastness isn't our goal. It's not the end in in and of itself. It's not that perseverance is somehow we've reached it. The point of perseverance and steadfastness is that it has its full effect. And what is that? What does that look like? That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let's go back to our athlete analogy, since so many of us are athletes, and this is going to resonate so well. (laughs) What happens when an athlete works hard in training? When um, they, they're honing in every aspect of their game, their skill, their focus, their endurance, their strength, it's all coming together. They train and they train and they train. They put their body through all kinds of things, all kinds of things, working on every aspect. That athlete, not only does, do they have the ability to persevere, but they have now work to minimize their vulnerabilities. They've worked to minimize their own weaknesses. They're at the peak of their game because of that training. They work, they train, they have perseverance so that they will be able to perform at the highest level, lacking nothing. 
The same way, church, we face our trials, both internal and external trials, um, with pure joy, knowing that they're going to be used as tools to make us stronger in Christ. Knowing that they serve a purpose, that we may be perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing. And for some of us here, I really believe this, that we need to stop and just, that was perfect timing right there. We need to stop and we need to hear that. We need to hear that, that when things aren't awesome, we don't need to put on the face like they are. Because that time when things are not awesome is, has a purpose for us. The way I think about it is, is a Christian who never faces trials is a little bit like an athlete who never hits the gym. And a Christian who never faces, never acknowledges, never goes through trials is a bit like an athlete who never hits the gym. They're pudgy and they're not ready for the race. The trials serve a purpose. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you hit the weight room. Count it all joy, my brothers, because you know that it's building you up to be equipped for the future. Now, James continues on in verse 12, and I want to skip down just a few more verses down. It says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast in her trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Notice it doesn't say happy is the man. Again, it's not this oblivious emotional condition that we're just happy all the time, but it's blessed is the man because again, it's not healthy for us to be happy, happy, joy, joy all the time. It's creepy, right? A blessed person is not necessarily always a happy person. Emotions are going to vary depending on where we are in life, depending on what stage, what you're going through. Your emotions are going to vary, but God doesn't. And the joy that we get to see is, is being confident that we are receiving God's love and faithfulness no matter what comes. There's joy in that, and that's the essence of joy. Now, when we read this verse, it says we're going to receive the crown of life. When I read this first, the thing that came to my mind when I read crown is I thought of the crown that kings wear, right? With the jewels, the crown of life. It's this royal picture. Um, that is not what the people who read this letter would have gathered when they, read, when they heard this. Um, let's return back to our athlete analogy for a moment. When in the ancient world they competed and they trained and they won, what were they given? It wasn't a ring, a championship ring. It wasn't a medal. It was a crown. It was a wreath. It was a victor's wreath. Um, it's the same that uh, Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 9. It says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable Paul's talking about the same thing. Paul's talking about the same thing here. And do you feel that imagery? That for that athlete who has given himself completely to training, the early mornings, the denying themselves 
daily, not to eat what they want to eat, not to really do what they want to do, but to train and to train and to work and to endure and to hit the room, the weight room when you don't want to do it. All of that, all of those mornings, the, the exercising self-control day in and day out, the moment comes when finally all of that comes to the moment when you stand and you receive your victor's crown. When you receive the, the crown, and in that moment, everything you went through, all the pain, all the discomfort, you stand there and you receive your victor's wreath. And for us, the church, there will come a day when that will be true, when all of this will be worth it. All of those, those difficult mornings or those painful nights, all, all of it, all of the trials, it will be worth it as we receive your crown. Now, what is the crown that he is talking about? What is the wreath that James is talking about to those who love him? Well, the reward is life. This is a crown of life. It's the same way Jesus uses the same terminology in Revelation 20. He says, do not fear about what you're about to suffer. Jesus is warning them about what's to come. And he says, behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, be tested for 10 days in tribulation. But hear this, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. It's the same wording. It's the same concept. And so packed into this crown of life, hear me, is is all of the reward that God has promised to his people. It's, it's life eternal. It's forgiveness of sins. It's a perfect relationship with him. It is the crown of life, and that is our reward. A commentator, I wanted to read this, uh, talking about this verse in James, James 1.12, says, it is fruitless to try to pin down one specific promise that James might have in mind. For promised reward for obedience and faithfulness is found all throughout scriptures. Clearly, James' overall purpose in this verse is to encourage believers to endure the trials faithfully so that they may receive all of the reward that God has promised to them. And I love that. And one of the reasons I love that is because I believe that we like to approach Christianity and our faith and we like to approach it with a bottom line mentality which is, what is the least I can do to qualify? What is the least thing I can do? What are the the least amount of weight I need to lift, least amount of miles I need to run, least amount of days I need to train? What is the least case scenario here? And James says, brothers, no, because there's joy found in that struggle. There's joy found in that struggle, so brothers, lean in. And going back to uh, 1 Corinthians Nine, think of all the time and energy and sacrifice and dedication that these athletes put in to receive this wreath. Think about it in our day. The amount of work that goes into these athletes who perform at the highest level. For what? As Paul says, to receive a perishable wreath. I think of it, um, can you remember who won the Super Bowl six years ago? What about four? I struggled to think of two, honestly. I had to really jostle my mind. All of that work that they put into this, for that, 
for a championship that's just going to be reclaimed the next year? The church should be the most driven people on the planet because our reward, the thing that we are in this for and the thing that we are training for, the thing that we are going through trials for, never ends. It is eternal. So James is saying here, all of the time that you spend in the weight room is valuable. All of that time is valuable. Count it joy that you're able to do that. And there are two things that James gives us here that I want to highlight. Um, the first one is this, and it sounds simple, but it needs to be said. We will meet trials. We will meet trials. Um, the idea that God only and always wants us to be happy, healthy, and wealthy is nonsense. It's better than that. The truth is that God wants to use everything in your life to make you more like Jesus. It's better than that. James says, those dumbbells, they serve a purpose. Use them. Use them to make you stronger, to more like Jesus. We, though, this is true in our culture. It's true in just the church, period. We like the results without the work. We love it. We want the spiritual six-packs without the crunches. We want the magic pill that we can take that will allow us to keep eating what we want to eat and allow us not to put in the time, but to still get the results. But like a physical six-pack, spiritual six-packs require some resistance work. They do. And we can't get away because that's God's design to grow us to be more like his son. Um, here's my point is that all of our struggles and the things we go through, as hard as they are, they have a purpose in our life. And there are times that I just can't even wrap my mind around understanding what that purpose may be, but we know and we stand on that there is a purpose to all of this. And as followers of Jesus, we, we use our struggles for the glory of God and for the good of our growth in Christ. Our struggles are for the glory of God and for the good of our growth in Christ. They serve a purpose. And so the first thing is we will meet trials in life. The second thing is because that's true, don't waste your trials. Now this sounds weird. Don't waste your trials. Sometimes God is demonstrating his love in the clearest, in the middle of the trial. And sometimes right now you resonate that with that because some of us are there right now. But God shows his love sometimes in the moments, in the middle of the trial. Some of the most memorable moments in my life, the moments I think back on a lot, moments in my marriage that I look back on a lot, are those moments that were difficult. Some of the moments that I, in your career or, or whatever you do, those moments that stretched you tend to be the moments you think back on. It's not that they're pleasant in the time, but you think back on them and realize, wow, you had something for me there. Because the reality is, is that we often learn not a whole lot through the good times, but wow, we learn a ton during the times that stretch us 
So church, let's not waste our trials. And the way we waste them is first by faking it. We waste our trials when we fake like they don't exist. When we put on our mask, when we, when we pretend everything is awesome, when we really do need help. When we need help, but if you look at our Facebook feed, we just got done with our second Bible study and we're singing worship songs with our perfect kids. When that's not our reality, it's just the, the, the image we want out there of ourselves. We don't need to do that because we waste our trials when we treat our trials like that when we pretend they're not there. And why do we feel the pressure to be perfect? Jesus is perfect, and he, he's, we are on the path to be made perfect and complete, and trials are a part of getting us there. So when we ignore the trials, it's, we're ignoring the very thing that God is trying to put in our life to make us more like Jesus. And so we waste our trials by faking it. Church, imagine if we were a community, a church, where we didn't need to wear masks. Where when things weren't going well, you didn't need to worry about, well, I guess I should stay home today because if I come, they're gonna see that I'm not great. What if we were a church that you wanted to come to when things weren't great? Because you can be honest about that. You could step in and say, I'm struggling. My kids aren't as perfect as they look on, on Instagram. What if this were that church that we could come? What would happen is exactly what this text says would happen. We would see growth, both individually and as a church. We would see massive amount of growth becoming more like Jesus because that is what God has called us to do. It would be revolutionary. What if we were a, a church that didn't waste our struggles, but instead counted them all joy as we journeyed through them together? What are your trials and what's God trying to teach you in them right now? So the first way that we waste our, our trials is by faking it. The second way is by quitting. By quitting. Um, when the weights get heavy, let's set that down and let's go to the, let's hit the showers. When God is saying, no, push harder. Push harder. Don't quit. Don't quit. And something we, we can't forget, we should never forget, is that God will never leave you. So therefore, anything you face in life will not overcome you. It won't be too much for you through Christ. In fact, the Bible tells us so many times, and I love these verses, that in our weaknesses, he is strong. That his strength is made perfect when we are at our weakest. And we stand on these and it means this, don't quit. Don't give up. Don't quit. Now, next week, uh, we're going to look, we're going to continue to look at, at verse 5. We're going to talk about wisdom and doubt. How many doubt? If you're not raising your hand, I doubt you're telling the truth right now. <laughs> we're going to talk about it because it needs to be talked about. Um, but this week, this morning, here's my encouragement. Here's what I want you to leave with. Don't waste your trials. Instead, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, 
lacking in nothing. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for the moments that we don't understand you. Thank you for the moments in our life where we are just, we don't understand why it is that we're going through what we're going through. We just don't get it. Thank you for those moments because it's in those moments, God, that your word tells us that you're growing us to become more like you. God, I pray that you give us the ability to persevere when the weights get heavy. For those of us who are in this room right now and we are currently under heavy weight, give us your peace. Give us your peace in these moments to know that you have not left us, to know that you are using this somehow, some way, that you are growing us somehow, some way through this. God, help us not to fall into the temptation of faking it. Help us not to give in and quit, but instead help us to lean in and count it all joy in the middle of life's ups and downs that we are all facing. God, thank you for a place that we can come, that we can be honest. And I pray that you develop that in us as a church as we look into your, in your, in your Bible today and as we continue in James. In Jesus' name, amen.